Hello and welcome to a wind-tossed storm Eunice red warning edition of the Culture Bunker with me, Andrew Harrison. And me, Sean Pattenden. We hope you have all weathered the weather safely and are ready to stay indoors, warming your hands over piping hot podcasts. This week, we are absolutely delighted to welcome to the show Jan and Martin from Sea Power, the William Wordsworth of Lakeland Dream Pop, rock and roll ornithologists. They are all of these things and more, and they're one of my absolute favourite bands. Sea Power's new album, Everything Was Forever, is out today. Martin and Jan are going to play a couple of songs for us, and they're going to tell us what it's like to drop the British from their name. They were formerly known as British Sea Power. Much to the annoyance of GB News and other sundry rage merchants. Plus, Ian Harrison of Mojo Magazine will be joining us to talk about Apple TV Plus's new series, Severance. What if you were literally a different person at work? Plus, new albums from Devon Disco Dreamers, Metronomy, and Control Yourself, Andrew, the Bards of Birkenhead, Half Man, Half Biscuit. We've got all that and more on today's Culture Bonker. But first, live from Brighton, Here's Jan and Martin of Sea Power with Green Goddess. Everybody knows you're crooked through and through. So I straight ahead, we're coming for you. Your bucolic poetry Well, it stirs my heart, it moves me My green, green goddess Yeah, my green Green goddess, oh, it gets lonelier, it gets further away. Oh, but it's only time, it's only in the way, and everybody needs somebody. So take my hand, yeah, follow me, yeah, follow me. My green, green goddess, yeah, my green, green goddess. Am I creepy? Am I creepy? Am I creepy? Green goddess, oh. Sea Power with Green Goddess. Hello, Jan, a.k.a. Scott on guitar and vocals. How are you? Oh, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I feel special after that intro. <laughs> and also, long-suffering Man United fan Martin Noble <laughs> on more guitar and more vocals. Hello, Martin. Hello, good morning. How are you doing? All right, not bad. You're both in the vicinity of Brighton right now. Can you look out the window and give us a quick storm check, please? Is anything blowing around? Uh, the fence is still up, <laughs> um, but there's a, there's a few birds managing to get on the feeders, so that's impressive. I think Jan spotted a pigeon flying backwards a minute ago. Is that correct? Yeah, he's gone now. I think he's quit and uh, gone <laughs> home. There, you've all, got all five cranes are still standing. I'll keep you updated. Okay, on that. crane check later. So, um, sea power are famously inspired by the natural world: icebergs, seabirds, landscapes. So, it's quite good of you to lay on the biggest storm in thirty-five years <laughs> to promote your album. Um, you are literally standing in Brighton because of sea and air power. Is, is album day traditionally a bit nerve-wracking when you're in bands? It's like it's all come down to this, and it's like now press the big red button. Maybe. I mean, I thought you were going to ask if we traditionally lay on a massive storm. <laughs> I was going to ask that. Yeah. You know, it, it would be cruel, but it's good publicity. Yeah. Uh, it's It's been a really long one, this one. Like, the build-up to this has been the, the longest we've ever had between albums. 
So it's felt like an eternity waiting for this day. It's felt like we were ready for almost a year. And we've more or less had the album for quite a long time. I've been listening to it and thinking, I can't wait for this to get out in the world. It's getting fantastic reception. A lot of people say it's got it's right back to that sort of strapped to the mast rock and roll sound of things like carrying or waving flags, if listeners are familiar with that one. You made this one kind of under your own steam and your own finance, pretty, you know, for the first time in a long, long time. Were you surprised at how it, how it turned out? You were sort of completely from beginning to end masters of your own destiny on this one. We got help from our lovely fans. Mm. It wasn't all our own finances. Yeah. Um, but the thing about that is I can't believe that they just give you money and they've been <laughs> waiting for three or four years to receive something. They're very patient people. Yeah, a lot of them have forgotten that they even did it, so they're just going to get a nice surprise today. I have, I'm a long-standing fan of the band, and so is our additional guest, Ian Harrison. Hello. News editor of Mojo Magazine, and it's an nepotistic business, my younger brother. Hello. We are. Welcome yes. back to the podcast. So hello, for, hello. for listeners who are unfamiliar with Sea Power and what they're all about, why do you like them? Why do I like them? It's funny, you know, because I, I uh, the eve nepotism or what, I mean, Jan's brother, Roy, who I'm pally with, uh, took me to see them in the Betsy Trotwood, said, come and see this, and even then, oh, that was like, yeah, I think, but the Libertines on as well. Whatever happened to them? I think they were. Mad, mad <laughs> night. The bad thing is they've changed, you know, obviously they've changed in many ways, but that central core of what it was is actually kind of still there, you know. And even this new record, which does use a lot of different, you know, sounds, you know, on that basic level, lots of, you know, different styles and stuff, it, it is definitely still them. So I would say that why I like them is there is this ineffable quality and it is, you know, being out, um, as you say, tied to the mast. It is a sort of dramatic rock very thought-provoking, rich sound world. Out on a wild and windy moor. Out on the wild and windy moor. And, you know, like all the things that I really like, I, I, I'm still, you know, there's not a complete handle on it, on it, you know, which is yeah, a uh, great value for money. I think Roy once said that somebody had said you were the World War One Joy Division, which uh, I always thought was quite quite a <laughs> potent way of describing it. He says it. lots of things. It's funny, though, because, you know, phrases that can be, you know, thought of, that, that that's funny, say that, they, they, they hang around, don't they? They sort of take root somehow, you know. Yeah. Because they kind of do reveal a sort of a truth about it yes. somehow. One of the more memorable shows where I saw British Sea Power, as then was, was in the Isles of Silly. And poor old Isles of Silly are going to get a bit punished by Storm Eunice today. Oh, I was oh, thinking yeah, of yeah. them fondly. They did it first, yeah. didn't they? And it was such an incredible show because I think the plan was you wanted to play the westernmost gig anybody had ever played in the British Isles. Mm. And we took the sleeper train and then the boat. And when we got there, literally everybody on the island came to the gig in the pub. And we also discovered on the same weekend that Prince Michael of Kent was visiting the island. <laughs> and he came too. And they, they were running around trying to find him to get him to come, you know, because of fleet air arm type of thing. Well, he does have that old-fashioned beard, doesn't he? He does, Sort yes. of pre-First World War. And one, one of the audience said to me, this is the most exciting thing that's happened on the island in 10 years. And I said to them, what happened 10 years ago? And they said, nobody can remember. Whoa. So <laughs> they, they burned a big wicker man. It's a magical place, isn't it, down there? It's fantastic. The thing uh, I, I remember... <laughs> From that visit was also historical on the Isles of Scilly. My brother Neil Hamilton officially was voted second most handsome man on the island. <laughs> was that only yeah. including the band, or did it include a handsome Scillian? No, who all included the... everyone on the island. So That's... who was number one? I'd like a local boy. Okay. I was, I, He's not shocked to fame. It, it wasn't me yeah. or Martin. Well, <laughs> watch out, don't you? Because they, they might be they might be prone to vendettas. You know, the Scillian. Right, they? We, Might be a bit prone to vendetta. So that's the Sicilians. Even... That oh, was it? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Then the handsome guy who won last year, he says, the man from Britsipa, he will die. He will die. He yeah. will die. Oh, dear. Yeah. So, Martin, I want to ask you, ask you another thing about this record. There's a strong climate crisis theme here. From the title onwards, uh, and it's in the lyric into the song, Folly, everything was forever until it wasn't. The idea that we've just been ignoring this thing until the very last moment. Um, mm. You know, many of the band are from the Lake District. You're always right about, about natural themes. Are you surprised that more bands don't want to talk about you know, the kind of the Greta Thunberg universe, the fact that this is the most important thing facing us and we just, we kind of ignore it. It's funny, I saw um, Nick Cave when he did his solo tour. Um, you know, he got questions from the audience. Somebody, um, I think it must have been from the Green Party or something, gave him the question with the crisis facing everybody, should you, do you feel like you should be writing more songs about it? He can't personally, his, his sort of news is, as it's always been, uh, there's a lot of, religion in there uh, yeah and it, yeah he just he said that he probably should be but he just can't yeah and it's it's just not something that comes to him and it can kind of destroy music or your enjoyment of it done in the wrong way i think 
Yeah, but you guys, when I said icebergs, you did, you know, actually did write a song about an iceberg. Larson you've, B. Larson B. You've written songs mm-hmm. about endangered seabirds or instrumentals about them. You've written about the natural world a lot, and it's in your background. It's it, it, it's it's where you come from, and I think that's something that attracts me hugely to the band because living in grimy London, I sort of feel a bit disconnected from that. And yes, I can throw myself into the great the great skewer, the song the great skewer, and yeah. feel myself out in that world. Yes, it must be our muse. It's, well. I mean, you get this a lot, don't you, when you're talking to band and you say, you know, where do you get your ideas from? And, and the often, you know, answers will be, you know, people just don't know. It's just who they are, and it's what comes out. And you know, following that, uh, some uh, satisfying artistic conceit that comes along. Mm. Yeah, well, there's a bit of a. I think people are pretty skeptical of any band who put a bit of thinking into their lyrics because it can so easily go wrong. As well, you know, as easy as it can go right. Um, we, we're not really, we've never sung about sort of saving the planet as such, but we just sing about, I don't know, the fragility of it or how sad it is that it's all so messed up already. Uh, things that we'll miss in the future. Um, just sorrowful, kind of gloomy people. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is, I like the line on Folly, or the little verse on Folly that goes, if it makes you feel better, the creeps are all going to cook, along with the rest of us on this weird rock. The saving grace is, well, everybody you hate is also going to burn to a cinder as well. So tell us about the grief you got when you dropped British from the band name. F- firstly, when did you decide to do it? A long time. Well, we thought about it for a long time. It kept popping up every time we had a release. It's like, oh, should we change our name? Because it's it kind of been irking us for a bit, hasn't it? Yeah. It's probably been feeling from slightly awkward in my mind to increasingly so for about 10 years or so since about machineries of joy, I think. But then mm. it, was, it wasn't, it was more of a wouldn't it be fun to change our name and just do, you know, invite new things and just play with it a bit rather than. Just sort of, I think we really should now. <laughs> we, we'd, we'd gone through it, we'd gone, we're definitely going to do it, and then we decided not to, and then we were definitely going to do it again. And, and then, yeah, literally a few days before we announced the release date of the album or the first single, we decided to go for it again. And the label were very sympathetic, you know, that they thought we were mad because commercially it could be a complete disaster for a lot of bands changing the name. Had it held you back a bit, you know, in, in certain countries to turn up with a, a name that if you're in Britain, you kind of get the kind of how, how your trends are connected with the things that are, that are good about the country. If you're playing in Dublin or Belfast, then it's kind of might be a little bit harder for people to get what you're yeah, about. In Northern Ireland, sometimes I've felt nervous, you know, <laughs> and I think in Europe, I think it definitely has hampered us a bit. And it's probably especially now, you know, yeah. I mean, imagine... What, what Europeans must think of a bank called British Sea Power going over. Yeah. Can I can I say something? I was one of these people who heard this and thought, oh, no, I didn't want you to change your name because I, I like the way it was. There was an awkwardness about it. I mean, one of the groups that I know you, you really, you're not like them, but lie back, you know, from a very, very awkward group, a lot of very complicated stuff in there. I'm not saying you like them, but, you know, the, the, I like that sort of dialogue that you had to have. And also I was concerned that because sometimes when bands change the name, Something can be lost. Now, there are examples of them. You know? Look at Jefferson Starship. Exactly. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was going to yeah. mention. But actually, no, but to be fair, I'm very glad that it didn't, doesn't seem to have had that effect. Mm. Although it does yeah. mean I've had to rip all my t-shirts up now. Which is, you know. Well, I don't know. I think Lieback are a great example of that kind of thing. But we, I mean, we did, we did make the most of it for about twenty years. That name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Did it surprise you that you kind of came to the attention of the woke finder generals and then suddenly, like, you know, Dan Wotton's on GB News going, this is a disgrace, and people who, to be fair, probably not heard of you previously, are going, I'm never going to buy their records again, and I don't even own a record player. Yeah, he did us a favour, really, didn't he? I mean, he, for a few people, not Ian, but others, who were on the fence about it, <laughs> um, he explained quite well why we might want to change our name. It wasn't really for people like you who were, who know as well uh, or know a lot about music. It was for uh, people who don't know us. It just seemed like a weird barrier. They're never going to sort of give us a chance in a way because there's this mental block of this weird combination of words, flavouring. Just tying yourself to a nation um, just seemed a bit, I know, got a bit tiresome. Um, and it, to me, it felt like, you know, the kind of people who have a Union Jack outside the front of their house. Yeah. Like, you're really uh, that nationalistic 
quality. It's just really not us. And yeah, as, as uh, Jan said, it's it's been twenty years, so and their band name's not immutable. So well, Martin and Jan are going to do another song for us now, and they're also going to stick around for the rest of the show. This one is from the more reflective, slightly Galaxy Five Hundred end of the Sea Power product range. This song is Fire Escape in the Sea. Tell us about it. Uh, it's the oldest song on the record in that it was a demo for Machinery is a Joy a long time ago. It got a new lease of life uh, about three or four years ago when uh, Robert, Estonian Robert as we know him, got us to use it for uh, the soundtrack for the game Disco Elysium. So he dragged it from the depths of his archival knowledge of our band and insisted we used it. It turned out everyone likes it now. Okay, well, let's have a listen now. Here are performing it acoustically Martin and Jan from Seapower and Fire Escape in the Sea. Now, we always ask our guests to bring in a current favourite tune each week to broaden the minds of you, the listener. Ian, what have you brought in for us? Well, I'm glad you asked me, Andrew. Um, there's a, a new Vic Goddard record called Moments Like These. Explain who Vic Goddard is Vic to Goddard, the listeners who might not know. Vic Goddard uh, is the voice of Subway Sect. You might know that they did a track uh, in, in the punk days called Ambition, which is one of the great punk tracks, because mm. it's not very punk, really. But brilliant. He's carried on. He was the postman. The, the punk postman for many years, mm. so he's not he's not had a sort of a consistent, you know, lots of releases type career, but he is enjoying this um, 
stir, you know, this Indian summer of creativity. Is this why um, I'm not getting my post in? Because he's too busy making a record again and he should be doing the round. Yeah. I mean, I was actually saying this late flush, but I mean, he has been, you know, he's, he's, he sustains. Anyway, he's made this new record with um, active people who used to be in Joe Boxes, if you remember them. Oh, wow. And other people who were managed by Bernard Rhodes of The Clash. Mm. And Mick Jones of The Clash has produced it. And it is, I think if, he, if I could say anything about it, it is, considering, you know, where he is, what's going on with everybody's lives, it's the most unjaded thing, you know, I've heard for a long time. It is um, uh, melodic and tuneful because he's great at writing pop tunes, is Vic Goddard. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's sort of, it's just, it has, you know, that quality of sort of truth, but in a, not in kind of a, any kind of where the earnest way. You know, it's quite particular to him. So this is Subway Sect which is Vic Goddard's band and vehicle, and the album's called... Moments Like These. And the track is called Snakes and Vipers. Now, television, wouldn't it be a blessing if you could just get on with your workday without the distractions of home, or indeed, knowing who you are? Welcome to Severance, the nine-episode series directed by Ben Stiller on Apple TV+. When you work for Lumen Industries, you undergo a procedure. It's called Severance, which means you know nothing of your home life while you're doing your job. It stars Patricia Arquette, Parks and Recreation's Adam Scott, John Turturro, Christopher Walken, amongst many others. It starts today, that's 18th of February, and we'll talk about it after the trailer. Hello, my name is Mark S. And I have, of my own free accord, elected to undergo the procedure known as severance. I give consent to sever my memories between my work life and my personal life. I acknowledge that once the procedure is complete, I will be unable to access my personal memories whilst on the severed floor. Say gratitude. Nor will I retain work memories. Hey. Sorry, when I return home at the end of the day. I make these statements freely. Ian Harrison. Mark Scout has had the severance procedure at Lumen and is charged with mentoring the newest office recruit. He's called Helly. What's going on here at the start? What's going on? You want me to tell you what's going on? I, I'm not, we don't know what's going on. That's, that's the, great, <laughs> the great point of it. Um, yeah. I'm just, I'll, cut, I'll go straight to the, cut straight to the quicker shot. I really, really enjoyed this. I really dug it. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. mixture of uh, Philip K. Dick is kind of the obvious reference because this idea of having your, your mind split into two parts yes. and not being aware of what the other half is doing but there's also a sort of very good sort of um, David Lynch spook thing going on I'm um, three episodes into it it's unfolding nicely you know mm-hmm. my flesh is crawling in all the right parts <laughs> there are some I mean some great I mean, you, you mentioned the really good roles and there's also uh, Trammell Tillman who plays Milchick mm-hmm. who uh, yes. I think is um, probably my favourite character for the absolute uh, malign intensity of, of how bland he can be mm-hmm. when he's offering them, you know, melon balls. It's that thing, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, the work-life balance thing is what is yes. being uh, examined here. So it's actually, I mean, it is also, it's very amusing for all its mm. uh, sort of, you know, <laughs> evil intent. So tell me, Mark Scout, this is a big corporation. Lumen seem to, from what people are saying, own everything. You know, we're talking about a major corporate here. But what are those people actually tasked to do? Can you describe, for people who haven't seen this, what they do on the computer screen? Well, you see, we don't actually know. What they have to do is select numbers that appear to be scary on old-fashioned sort of... I mean, the the decade is very nebulous here, isn't it? We don't really know what decade we're in. I think we're in the present day. There's a lot of old-fashioned computers being used. Mm. But this is, I think this is where the horror aspect comes in, which is where there is this sort of strange occult fear factor. And it's great. I mean, it's a lot of things I like all, all in one. And uh, Mark looks a bit like Stephen Malkmus, doesn't he, for all us uh, indie, <laughs> indie rock fans? I, I don't know. I mean, I did read in some of the literature that the oh, you know, um, season, you know, references to season two. Mm-hmm. I would quite like this to be self-contained. Mm-hmm. I think that would be to sort of spin it out because I think there is clearly some kind of climactic event that we're going to get to. But I don't know if it should really carry on. 
I also thought, actually, if you stop watching it after literally the first 31 minutes, you've got a fantastic, shocking, you know, mini play. Yeah. So anyone without any time, just watch play the first for today. Yeah. <laughs> now, Jan, you've seen a couple of episodes, am I yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. What did you think of it and who stands out in this for you? Well, I was, uh, it's quite a slow burner, isn't it? And I wasn't admittedly in quite the right mood for it. And I, oh. I stuck with it and I slowly got sucked into it. And by episode two, I was starting to think, okay, this could be quite good, this. And I did think he did look like Stephen Malton, that's from the side. <laughs> <laughs> but he also looked a lot like, I can't remember the actor's name, but he plays Greg in Succession. I thought that, oh, yes. yes. Like That's Cousin Greg takes a bad career turn. Yeah. He is Cousin mm. Greg, yeah. He's, he's quite, he sounds like him as well sometimes. I'd like to see a programme with them both in at the same time. <laughs> Into the Gregverse. But, yeah. yeah, I think Greg's about four feet taller than everybody else, though, so that would make, would make quite good. What did you think of Patricia Arquette, who is the boss as such, or at least on that level? She plays Harmony, and she's got, she has to sort of walk that tightrope between being sinister but also being a boss you'd have to get on with and work with. She's, I mean, I think she's good. Uh, it took me a while to to recognise her, actually, because I haven't seen her mm-hmm. in much for a while. I've never really worked anywhere, so I don't... <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> Probably both of you have never had a proper job. This I is just like, oh, that's say, actually yeah, what goes on. I was an office angel when I was a student <laughs> right. for a few months, yeah. camping in Reading offices. Oh, okay. I didn't like that, so maybe it's going to touch on there when it gets to the horror aspect. Andrew, we are very familiar with the office worker trope. That You know, hundreds of series are set around the workplace because that's where disparate people meet where they wouldn't otherwise. What did you think that Severance does with this? First of all, I've got to say, I think it's fantastic. I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. In spot on. This is Office Space directed by Philip K. Dick. It is the surreal and the nonsensical and the terrifying aspect of work culture where we have to follow procedures that make no sense, not only to us, but also to the people who make us follow them. It is Kafka, you know, in the workplace with a personalised coffee mug. And also, by the way, I think it's got an immensely political dimension because this is full on Marxist alienation from yourself. You become a product. You no longer even know who you are. Mm. You can't access your memories. And as we discover, not only are the people, uh, the, the, the work version of the, of the person who they call the innie because they're in work and the outie who is the one who's outside of work. So like navels, isn't it? Yeah. Not only do they not know one another, but it transpires that they're very, very different people. And in many respects, they become one another's enemies. Mm. So you are trapped in a, you share a body with your enemy is a fantastic horror trope. Mm. So what sets it apart is but the, you know the dimensions of psychological horror, but also you know philosophical. Yeah. Are you your memories? What if you what if you are a person who can't remember anything at all apart from what they did yesterday in the workplace? Are you still a person? Are you still a human being? And if you're not a human being, is it therefore right to enslave you and give you no power over your own life? It's really really pointed mm. stuff. It is such a brilliantly simple idea, and it's acted with such. Uh, you know, kind of studied blankness. Patricia Arquette is incredible. She just is, she is one of the great terrifying bosses. Mm. And there are twists involving many of these characters, a key one which I won't reveal because it's a total jaw dropper, mm. which just unpack this concept of what if you were a divided person in different ways. Every episode brings something new to it. I was reminded of, this is something we've talked about on the podcast before. Do you remember that, that uh, thing about a phone box that used to be on Channel 4 oh, yeah. in the early days of Channel 4? Absolutely terrifying. A, a man goes to make a telephone call and he can't get out the phone box. Oh. He pushes oh, the door. It, it won't open. Yeah. Try and watch it if you're about it's eight a, it's, inc- it's a Spanish film. It's a half an oh, hour okay. long and it's yeah. a bad man who gets trapped in a telephone box. And the idea of claustrophobia in the mm. everyday, but more than that, the idea that you can be undergoing a, a, a horrific personal trial and everybody just walks past you with their cups of coffee, ignoring it. I cannot say how much I love this. It's fantastic. I'm plowing Yay. through it. Also, by the way, it looks incredible. It looks yeah. like it looks like a spiritualized video from 1997 <laughs> in their full-on Mark Farrow floating yeah. in space. Yeah. yeah, lots of white space. Mm. And also, you know, like Yanni, uh, uh, you were just saying, it's a bit of a slow burner because it's streaming TV. It doesn't have to obey the rules of broadcast yeah. telly. Yeah. And the rules of broadcast telly are: don't let them get bored. <laughs> Get them to the advert break, speed it up, pace it up. Yeah. There are extended sequences of people walking down corridors in oh, this. Oh, that's and fantastic, they, isn't it? And they really add to it because mm. you, yeah. your head, you, yeah. 
the viewer, your own headspace changes as you watch this. What you, you become an innie and an outie as well. You're kind of watching two parallel narratives on the go. Mm. I could go on. It's fantastic. It's worth the seven quid a month or whatever. It's Apple fiver TV actually. Is. It's a fiver. It's worth a fiver on its own. <laughs> it certainly is. About fifty p ago. I think it's it'd be so... really good for Gogglebox this program. You know. Oh god, you, yeah. I think get get some get some management types. You know, and make them watch it, and they'll say, "I don't see anything wrong with this." <laughs> What's so, really uh, clever is is. The plot could be really simplistic, but actually there's lots of subplots going through. And one of them being that Mark's brother-in-law has written a self-help book. Oh, I love that. The self-help book (laughs) is their only link to the outside world. While in the office, the UUR, of course it is, which is about self. And the idea that the only grasp on reality they have and they start to cling to is this shit that's coming out of a self-help book that's absolutely meaningless, but somehow that becomes so important. I thought that was really, really good. What a great twist. And there's an especially tasty bit, I think, in episode four or five, where we get finally to read some of Rickon's self-help <laughs> stuff, read in Rickon's I look forward to that. Oh, God, it's brilliant. It's very good. I caned all nine really quickly. We were self-isolating here, and it was the perfect thing. It was just like, right, should we watch another one? Should we just watch another Should we just keep watching them? Can we have a little mention as well for the subplot with uh, Christopher Walken and John yes, Turturro? John Turturro is on. one of the office, the, one of the office, uh, the little team of four in the office, which is essentially like if you took the IT crowd but you put them in like a Radiohead video from 1998 where everything is silent and antiseptic and nobody tells any jokes. John Turturro is the old guy in that team, and there's another team elsewhere in the building. John Turturro encounters uh, the leader of the team, Christopher Walken. And there is a spark between the two, the likes of which we seldom see on television. And the music as well. The music is basically, it's like variations on the theme of everything in its right place. Yeah. You know, I I can't find fault with this programme. It's amazing. We are here to broaden your musical horizons. Let's have a couple more favourite current tunes from our guests, Martin and Jan from Sea Power. Martin first, what have you chosen? I chose Ice Gems by Penelope Isles. Tell us about this. I kind of met them ages ago. Um, they're sort of on the Brighton circuit um, and they're mm-hmm. from the Isle of Man. They just seem, I wouldn't say innocent, but just sort of free from cynicism. They're just really, really genuinely lovely people. Um, they're on Simon Raymond's label, Valley Union, and he absolutely adores them as well. And uh, this song in particular is kind of break from the usual style. It's kind of more electronic-based. And it's um, kind of about the time where you sort of first get into responsibilities in your life from a sort of late teenager to, to adulthood. And Jan, how about you? I chose uh, Demonic Fonce's new single, Right Side of Rough, which is, uh, I've got to uh, sort of say, one of the, well, the two, two of the main guys in there, two Welsh twins who we work with, and they drive us around and give us guitars. And they're two of the funniest guys I've ever known. So I'm a bit biased, basically. But <laughs> they've okay. been going a little while now, and they just seem to be getting better and better. Um, the more they find their feet in their individual style that they're going for. Mm-hmm. And this song is just, I can, actually, it, it almost sounds like a hit. I was really shocked when I heard it. Somewhere in between sort of their world, it's somewhere in between maybe Ivor Cutler and some kind of punk 80s alternative thing. I've got a great song called um, My Father's Banana, which um, apparently <laughs> their dad used to claim that he was the first person to have a banana in the UK when they first came over. I think a lot of dads have made that claim. <laughs> I've heard that in many, many places. Oh, yeah, you lot, you don't know you're born. I've had the first banana in Britain. Well, well, we could be here all day talking about people's dads inventing things, but let's have a listen to these tunes. We can play clips of both of these so well done independent music industry take note the majors they're both on the playlist too here's ice gems by penelope isles followed by demonic fonts with right side of rough
And now, finally, a few more adventures in pop music. Metronomy are possibly the only pop band to be formed in post-rave hippie enclave Totnes in Devon. Their mix of light acoustic pop and tuneful electronic gurglings is now seven albums in and a couple of lineup changes too. New album Small World tackles our re-emergence into reality after the past two years of You Know What. So what will we think of it? And, joy unconfined for me at least, there's a new Half Man Half Biscuit album named after the popular muscle pain relief <laughs> ointment. <laughs> And featuring an image of the band struggling with heavy equipment on the cover, The Volterol Years is the follow-up to 2018's No One Cares About Your Creative Hub So Get Your Fucking Hedge Cut. The band claim admirers, including Simon Mayo, Eliza Carthy, Judge Dread artist Brian Bolland and cricket commentator David Bumble Lloyd, have they maintained their standards on their 14th album in a mere 37 years. Here's a bit of Metronomy's It's Good To Be Back, full track on the playlist of course, and then we're delighted to have the entirety of Half Man Half Biscuit's opening track, the sprightly memoirs of a serial killer entitled I'm Getting Buried In The Morning. See you later, Undertaker, in a while, Necrophile. Let's start with Metronomy and Small World. Uh, lead singer, songwriter and sole permanent member Joe Mount's album about suddenly appreciating the world that you've been ignoring. Uh, the sounds are subdued, the melody's gentle. He says it's not explicitly about coronavirus, it's about life and the people that you love. Ian, what did you think? I thought that what you said there, it's light, melodic, quite a nice little bit of variety in there. Old techno, bit of yacht, mm. indie pop. Seasons in the Sun, I thought the last song reminded me of. 
And I, I, I did quite like it, and it got better on r- repeated listens. But uh, ultimately, I wasn't massively moved. It's not enough like The Fall for you, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, I like other things apart from The Fall. You but, don't really? um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I thought it was quite nice. Um, I, mean, I, 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 I wish I could say something more, more forceful about it. Well, I mean, there's, there's more than a little Steely Dan here and even a bit of sort of Jacques Lussier, but also some uh, the track that we played, some proper 1987, you know, Roland Dramatics mm. Acid House Machines. Yeah, yeah. Bleeps and the backbeats. Their background is in you know, making uh, light dance music, shall we say. I actually found this quite affecting because it is unassuming. It's not making any grand promises, but it's what it's delivering on, it's delivering on in quite a, uh, a quite subtle way. I Do you guess. know what? I wouldn't disagree with that. There are some there are some very nice bits on it. There's some nice sort of, you know, Eno-ish piano sounds. There's, it does sound very nice, actually. I would agree with you on that one. But I suppose what I'm trying to say is I'm not, I wasn't utterly besotted. Mm. And that is often what we demand, isn't it, from our... Mm-hmm. I was kind of entranced there because it's bookended by... The opening tune is, is Life and Death, and the closing tune is a kind of almost a funeral march uh, called I've Seen Too Much. But he it's can't with, look away. But mm. he can't look away. Not it, it, It's not just starry-eyed, hello, uh, hello, hello trees, hello flowers, hello sky mm. stuff. Mm. There's a bit of darkness in there, but the sense that what's going to get you through things is just uh, appreciating the little stuff. Those two are my favourite tracks, the first and last. It's sort of a bit of a change for them. You know, the acoustic guitars and the pianos come out. Um, and it's a bit of a mature aside to them. Um, and I think for them, it's a bit of a transitional period. You know, he's, he's got ch- a couple of children now, maybe putting on the multicolored clothes and, and stuff. You know, he's, he's sort of settling down. So it's quite interesting in that respect. And we've, we've known Joe for a while. He used to play drums in a band called The Customers in Brighton. He, he played with us. Oh, right. Um, he didn't really speak to them. He only spoke to the singers and guitar players, not the drummer. <laughs> I was surprised how much I liked it actually because I tend to like big demonstrative wallopers and this one is it's very contemplative but also but not in that kind of uh you know slightly cloying way we often get from contemplative records. Sean, what did you think? Um there were points where when I was being kinder to it it reminded me of the magic numbers and I think that that's what they're trying to get and that kind of West Coast breeziness that Joe Mount likes, but sometimes turns into something that's quite twee. And that was my problem is I think Martin's right when you said it was the first and last track you like best, mm-hmm, yeah. isn't it? Where there is the darkness there, where he is actually saying it's actually quite tough sometimes. But because he just can't get away from these melodies, he can't get away from that lightness and the way it's produced, that I found quite difficult because I wanted it to go into something darker or weirder or just explore it a bit more. And there's a sort of froth there that I find quite hard to sort of delve underneath, if you see what I mean. That is actually what I liked about it, mm. though, because it, it's, I think it's actually very hard to do that, particularly mm. in, mm. you know, quotes, alternative pop. Yeah. It's really, it's really hard to bring, you know, unalloyed happiness and optimism into that style of music. And so, a lot of bands go for the easy doom rave. Yeah, it's uh, easier misery. to do doom and gloom. Yeah. And I, so I think when you've got a facility with mm. that, when you, it's natural to you, it would be wrong to hide that under a bushel. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because there's so little of it about. It's like writing drama that genuinely uplifts mm-hmm. is very, very difficult. And writing a love song that's really sincere is very, very difficult. Mm. So... You know, I'm not knocking him on that. No, I'll tell you what as well. It did actually work as an album, I thought. It did work very well. It mm-hmm. didn't sound like a lot of disjointed songs stuck together. It did have a beginning and a middle and an end. So maybe I did like it more than I've been letting on, you know. Should we talk about Half Man, Half Biscuit? Go on, you're Let's desperate, talk about Half Man. You? Every four years, a Half Man, Half Biscuit record turns up and I'm just absolutely delighted. Joy of joys. Mm-hmm. Now, Ian, him. like me, you are a devotee. Explain to people why they should be devotees of Half Man, Half Biscuit. <laughs> I think that, okay, here's why I really like them. Um, I think if, if, if bands that you really like, often you reach a post-critical phase <laughs> where you just listen to anything and you don't really mind anymore because yeah. they're just Andrew's doing what they always that, do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think with, with I think Nigel is genuinely one of you know the best songwriters You know that we have. Uh, his observations are always you know funny and tragic and true. They are genuinely still as good as they ever were. In fact, you, you do find yourself, don't you, with these things, you know, you're... Every moment of triumph just lifts you that little bit, you know, higher. Because he's building something. He's he's built this sort of body of work in a way that I'm sure he would absolutely. Because when he sent me the CD, he, I got a little note saying, "I'm happy if you use this if you use this as a drinks coaster, <laughs> right?" Which is kind of self-deprecating. There are quite a lot of songs about murder on this record. We've just heard "I'm Getting Buried yeah. in the Morning," 
Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we've, we've had a very boring time for the last few years, haven't you? And everyone's getting older. Yeah. Well, that's what it feels like murdering people more they these do. days. Well, there's one, there's one called Midnight Mass Murder uh, about a vengeful cleric dealing with people who come barreling into the church at midnight on Christmas Eve drunk in super dry. There's another one called In a Suffolk Ditch. Kelvin McKenzie in a second-hand Hessian sack. You'll never see Nicholas Witchell ever again. I mean, that, that's the thing. That, that's the poetic side of this, because there always is, isn't there? You know, when he really chooses every single word so carefully. Well, he's a purgative, isn't he? It's like all the things that drive you mad. I mean, what are the yeah. climactic... I think it, I can't remember it was the last one or the one before, the climactic tunes, National Shite Day. <laughs> Just about every, everything <laughs> dreadful. Everything dreadful that you hate. No bog roll, it's National Shite Day. Overhead, a rainbow appears. In, in black, black and, and white. white. Yeah. So, Sea Power Chaps, what's your uh, relationship with uh, Half Man, Half Biscuit? Well, I, have you listened to them much? Have you followed them at all? They made me think, first of all, like, I grew up as a kid with the vinyl in the house, so I was sort of exposed to it, the fire engine one and stuff like that. I always found them quite fascinating as a, as a little, little child. <laughs> it sort of appealed somehow. I didn't know why, and I didn't get any of the sort of qualities you might get pick up as you get older and that sort of thing. But I think the world's a better place for having a band like that in it. I think somehow they just keep things right. It makes you think, oh, it's like, they probably should have more. And maybe they don't want it. They're sort of self... Uh, totally self-sustaining yeah. organisms. It's sort yeah. of, and self-sabotaging almost, like, <laughs> I don't think he'd say it like that, you know. It's just it, it it doesn't get any bigger or smaller than he wants it to be. It just goes on. I mean, this is at the Zen states, isn't it? That you know, probably real you know real artists do achieve. You know, well, it's like Alan Moore never leaving Northampton, isn't it? Like you, you travel the world, go anywhere you like. So I just stay in Northampton because I can see all I need to see yeah. and understand the universe better from being in one place. And it's like Nigel being in Birkenhead, isn't it? Mm. You know, just, just go and see Tranmere, and you can just stand the entire universe from Prenton Park. Mm. You know, what well, is it? So what 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 did you think of this one, chaps? It was good. I mean, they've got they've got, they've got a great way with titles. So I like anyone who has a good way with song titles for a start. Yes. And the loading of van, aren't they? Yes. Test of the Dormobiles. <laughs> That's a really good one. Keeping isn't it one hundred percent real and lots of like things I don't definitely I don't always know who all the people are, and I think I need to know who this person is. So it's like little details, and uh, it's a great mix. Have they a small chance of almost fitting into what's cool for about a year or so? It seems like, I don't know, you've got all these like Sleaford mods and people who are kind of northern. Yard act. I mean, our final first get a sort of the kind of uh, yeah generation of this, aren't they? They're, they're sort of the possibly resource. more than the fall are actually, because that's obviously a weird thing to get. Yeah, I think because I mean the, the fall sort of deal in a lot of you know it's very scatter shot. Mm. Sleeper mods are more much more specific, you know, yeah. and so is Nigel. He's, he is very specific. But they're still yeah. it's quite interesting actually comparison because they're still dealing with fragments, are they? Fragments that they're picking up from what you imagine them all sitting in the same cafe but writing a different song about whoever's coming in and what the characters are. I, th- I think Nigel's world is more comprehensible. You, you know, I, I know yeah, what he's maybe. on about. Yeah, there's a track on this called "Oblong of Dreams," which I find actually really moving it's about going back to the football pitch in the school that you used to go to and seeing it sort of come back into bloom and after you've had 13 songs being driven mad by uh, people doing songs about covid on youtube and getting in your way at uh, at the supermarkets and being bad drivers mm. to actually come to this thing that is actually very joyful and i thought I'd quite mm-hmm. like a bit like like sea power actually in the sense that you just plunge into the natural world which might just be an old football pitch but it does renew you somewhat. There is a crossover, actually. There's a lot of Sea Power fans and half man half biscuit fans out there. Well, there's a, there's a lot of them in this room. So, <laughs> yes, that's a good thing. Split. British Sea Biscuit. Absolutely. Oh, sorry. <laughs> half, half man, <laughs> half Sea Power. Split <laughs> single must yeah. happen. <laughs> I've listened to a lot of... Uh, of uh, half my half biscuit you records, have. and I think this is really is one of the best ones. It's funny though, it's funny though, because if you have them on sort of on shuffle, they will come on, and I'll say, "Ooh, who's this?" And I don't think of is this a, you know, there's going to be some laughs coming up. They just sound like a good band. Yeah, and actually, the kind of mix of it's a bit pixies, it's a bit you know down the line uh, punk rock, it's somewhat dreamy. You know, if you in isolation from the lyrics about the madness of the modern suburban world, mm. it's absolutely you know. Yeah. completely down the line, proper, yeah. high quality, elevate your mind, independent rock and roll. Yeah. And something you, you said earlier on about the, 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 a song that has no sort of self-pity about it, I think it was, or, you know, it's very sort of positive. I've been listening to a lot of, what I'm looking for now is music that does not feel sorry for itself. Mm. At this point in history, I cannot bear anything that's going to be like maudlin 
without being able to back it up. Non-specific misery. I want something that is going to be unbowed. Yes. Well, as he sings, I am a happy man. I scale the Matalan. So there we go. Words to live by. Continuing our evangelism for pop music. Well, hey, Andrew, you have a new tune as well. Yes, I've been to see a brand new band, completely brand new, out of nowhere. They're called High School. They're from Melbourne. I was encouraged to go and see them at the social here in fabulous London. And they were brilliant. They are very early New Order. See Power's ears prick up. Hello, what? If your favourite early New Order song is Procession, then this band is right up your street. Who are they then? Who's in the band? There's uh, four of them Mm -hmm. and a drum machine. Mm -hmm. Female keyboard player, Gillian Gilbert. Ahoy, uh, listeners, if you're going, you can see Sean's face beaming now. They've got that sort of taut and disciplined and sounds like it was recorded in a very cold meat locker Mm. vibe going. And yet they're from Melbourne which is not like Manchester at all, I'm given to. Uh, oh, why not? Because it's beautiful and sunny there, and they are oh, playing against type. I thought they were yeah. fantastic. They're called High School. This tune is called De Facto, and I just think it's great. It's out Again, we'll put this onto the playlist. It's from an EP that's out at the moment. Uh, high mm-hmm. School, keep an ear out. You'll be hearing more from them. Every week we ask our guests to choose the greatest song of all time. And we've got one choice, a joint choice from Sea Power. Jan, what have you got? What are you choosing? What is the greatest song of all time? I've got Johnny Remember Me, uh, sung by John Layton, written by an old friend of ours called Jeff Goddard. Why do you love this one so much? I'm a big fan of the whole Joe Meek world. I absolutely admire him beyond belief. Telstar all those weird, you know, the blue men, songs about going into space, the globbits and things like that going on. I was slow, slowly getting aware of that kind of thing when I met Martin at university and I had a little job washing up in the canteen, which I then got Martin in on and we were both washed up there together. And uh, there was a guy there called Jeff Goddard who was sort of Joe Meek's biggest collaborator as far as I know, he wrote Telstar, but he wasn't credited. So I just wanted to put that out there for people who don't know that. Um, and he was a lovely man. He, he's, he's very funny. He was a sort of spiritualist into the occult and things like that. And he started, he realised we were musicians and uh, he used to try and talk to us about his keyboards and stuff. And then he would uh, start making his own versions of the British Sea Power songs Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah, so we had one called A Wooden Horse, and he reinterpreted it into a sort of a Roman orgy song. <laughs> <laughs> Do these songs exist anywhere? No, no, you would just sing at lunchtime. Oh. He'd be, be there with the pots and pans and the colanders, you know, blasting out some rhythms. It was brilliant. So what were the words to the Roman orgy song, do you remember? It was something like, uh, when wooden horses were in use, we all had a Roman orgy. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you going to make a record of them then? Then sadly he passed away. I would have loved to, yeah. Um, he, he came to see us once or twice. And then, yeah, he passed away. And um, he, he had many charming qualities, but there's a really good film about where he featured, it's about Joe Meek, and they interview him when he was still working at the canteen maybe 10 or 15 mm. or so years before we were there. And he used to play piano at Christmas for like a load of old people who would come in. Mm. And he was amazing on the piano. But the weird thing was he had the same jeans on. There were these like claret red jeans. And I always thought he's got a hole in his pocket. And it's because he'd had them on every time. Lucky <laughs> <laughs> yeah. jeans. He was a lovely guy. We, he's a bit of a hero. And, uh, he wrote this song, Johnny Remember Me. John Layton had a chance to go on TV and they didn't have a song. And Joe Meek was like, well, can you write one? So he went to bed, he didn't write one. 
he had this spirit come to him in the night in the form of a dream, and he woke up and wrote it on the piano in less time than the song takes to play. And then they went and did it. Well, we're going to put that on. Unfortunately, we can't clear it because the rights are such a tangle, but we're going to put that onto the playlist. And listeners, we encourage you to go and have a listen. The playlist is now on Tidal as well as Spotify, isn't it, Sean? Yeah. Sean has well, put it on Tidal. It certainly is. I've put it on Tidal for people who are refusing. I know other platforms are available as well. There are problems with all of them, but at least we're having a go. And as that sound goes on, Joe Meek, we have the end of the podcast and closing time chatter. What we will be discussing is we performed a short but serviceable trepanning session a la severance. Ian, what's your closing time chatter? I was reading uh, The New Yorker and there was a feature about polarisation, you know, politically in America. But this phrase mm-hmm. is at the title of a book, fanatical certitude is what it's called, mm-hmm. which I think is just a, a great, you know, pair of words to maybe sum up. What are the problems that we're having of everybody being so fanatically certain of things? I think you're completely wrong mm. about that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy has got fanatical certitude. It's got me where I am today. Exactly. Well, I'm not sure, you see. Yeah, mm. that's not mine. <laughs> could be. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, maybe yeah. We, we could discuss it. We, so, we know, could. Like, we could. That way. So, you know, that's about as far as I can really go with it. I just found it a, you know interesting thing to think upon. We know? live in a world of cursed by fanatical certitude. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and not that, but then then you say, well, obviously, well, some things are right, aren't they? Some things are correct. So these are things I strongly believe. Face on you now, yeah, eyes oh, narrowing. Yeah, um, no but you know, maybe something to you know think on. Maybe yeah. I don't know about Fine. that. And the other thing was I was going to mm. say was that the good news that people are returning to cities after the pandemic and all this stuff about you know living right. living on an allotment. Basically, going out of the way because people need to get back into the cities, don't they? They got bored of the allotment. Yeah, they need to get back into the pubs where they belong. Potatoes get in the way, don't they? Yeah. 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 Andrew, what's yours? I just wanted to register the death of one of my heroes, which is the great comics artist Ian Kennedy, who you will probably know if you've ever been in a shop and seen a copy of Commando Picture Weekly. He had an incredible painterly style and a really three dimensional style, which made. Everything absolutely come to life. But he worked across everything. He did war stories. He did sports stories. He did bits for 2000 AD. He did robots. He did, uh, you know, he could he could paint a spaceship or a Spitfire and make them both immensely real, even though one of them was sprung completely from his imagination. He did football stories. He And he was, his work rate was unbelievable. Uh, he died last week, aged 89, was still working pretty much up to the end. He used to do commissions for people, would, you know, you name it, Union Jack Jackson, he'd paint it for you. He really was a genius. I think I don't I mean, you know comics as well. I'm not sure he got the credit that maybe people like the big artists like Mike McMahon and those guys got. Yeah, I think you might be right there. And I think looking back on it, I, if you just had who were your favourite artists when I was reading them comics, I wouldn't have put him up the top. But now looking back, I say we were just so spoiled. We were absolutely ruined. We were so spoiled we? for, yeah. for, for fantastic artists, you know, as you say, kept on till the very end. It was still as good as well. Yeah. And to me, it was like a bridge between the kind of war comics of the 50s and 60s and into the the madder, more deranged, imagination-based stuff of later. He could do both. He had feet in both camps. He was, in his own mad way, a visionary. So RIP Ian Kennedy. Sean, how about you? Well, I saw a story that I like it when you see under the bonnet of filmmaking and Robert Pattinson was on a talk show about his upcoming role in Batman. And he talks about how for two weeks he did this really whispery voice because he decided not to do the gravelly Batman voice. He thought, I'm going to do whispery. No one's done whispery. This is going to be brilliant. I'm going to be like no other Batman ever. And everyone thought it was awful. <laughs> and he had to change it. They had to go back and just, you know, a word was was had in that you just can't do this. <laughs> Surely somewhere there is some footage of him doing this fabulous fabulous whispery voice i mean who does that is that a carry-on film or something that's just fantastic i want the batman who whispers yeah, he bursts in and goes Hi. i'm batman and they can say who yeah. what yeah. Batman? I who are you he's dressed as a bat <laughs> who do you think he is that is and a he great... looks really foreboding but he's whispering yeah guys, whispering. speak up <laughs> well that, that is an old school batman villain isn't it the whisperer mm. i mean they are yes, villains I suppose it is. Yeah. based on much less than that yeah. exactly and over, yeah. and over yeah. all the money yeah. yes give it's me fine. Let's, let's go and do that now. I'm going to blow, I'm going to That's the Batman I want to see. Yeah. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and spot on. It's getting quite no. me. Is it? What's the weather How's checking How's it going out there? It's it's getting uh, to the degree where I'm starting to think if this increases, I'm going to be worried about those trees. 
reminds me of, uh, I've been thinking a lot about Joe Meat now, the last few minutes, and uh, they used to have a thing where they recorded their hits, and when there was a thunderstorm and lightning, it meant it was going to be number one. Oh. So I'm thinking, this is yeah. our album release day, with this weather, it's <laughs> got to be uh, portentous yeah. of our album being number one. It has. One. Both your album and this podcast will go to number one. It, exactly. A roof slate, because I'm on the neighbour's WhatsApp, has just fallen into someone's window and crashed right through. We might be going there. <laughs> yeah, and they've got a big gap and they've got everyone sending pictures of this window. <laughs> like it's just come right in. Yeah, so it's all gone off. If they remade Cloverfield now, it would be like this, a load of people on a podcast, and then suddenly a giant monster foot came through the roof and killed them all. And that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much to Jan and Martin from Sea Power. Thank you. And thanks to our Ian from Mojo Magazine. Always a pleasure. Don't forget you can get all the tunes on our rolling playlist on Tidal and Spotify. The link is at the top of the show notes. From me, Andrew, producers Alex Reese and Yelena Sofronievich, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. The Culture Bunker was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison with Sean Pattenden. The assistant producer was Yelma Sofronievich, and audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Culture Bunker is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.